Hello, and welcome to Tales with Gnomes, where we talk about mythical beings and their tales old and new. I'm Olga. And I'm Cody. This week, we'll be talking about unicorns and zombies. I will go first this week and start with a story written by me about the unicorns. In a mystical realm hidden beyond the veils of reality, there existed a serene and enchanting forest where magical creatures roamed freely. Among them was a pure and radiant young unicorn named Celestia. Celestia's coat shimmered with a beautiful glow. In moonlight, there could be seen ornate designs in her short fur, and her mane flowed like liquid starlight. One night, a sinister demon named Malgrim emerged from his realm, casting a dark shadow over the once idyllic forest. Seeking to taint the innocence that prevailed, Malgrim had devised a malevolent plan to corrupt the pure heart of Celestia. Under the veil of darkness, Malgrim approached Celestia with cunning whispers that promised unimaginable power. Intrigued, the young unicorn hesitated but ultimately succumbed to the temptations offered by the demon's blood, which dripped like poison from his twisted horns, pooling in large leaves like venomous saucers. The ambitious and foolish unicorn drank heartily from the leaves. As the demon's blood tainted Celestia's veins, her once lustrous coat dimmed and darkened. It became sleek and sticky. Her eyes glowed with an otherworldly evil and hunger. No longer a beacon of purity, Celestia became a creature of darkness, her horn now twisted and too sharp, her once gentle demeanor replaced by a dripping aura of selfishness and gloom. The corrupted unicorn roamed the forest, leaving a trail of darkness in her wake. The enchanted creatures, who were once her friends, cowered in fear and quickly hid as her very presence drained the life and the magic from the once thriving land and its creatures. She quickly became known as Shadowfire. Yet deep within the recesses of Celestia's corrupted soul, the smallest flicker of her former self remained, torn between the purity she once embodied and the demonic forces that now fueled her very existence. Shadowfire struggled with the lingering and conflicting emotions of Celestia within her. In a hidden cave within the enchanted forest, a group of brave creatures, led by a wise elder owl named Orion, gathered to find a way to free Celestia from the clutches of darkness and cruelty. Through ancient rituals and the magic of pure-hearted beings that gathered, they embarked on a perilous journey to confront the dark unicorn. Ominous clouds gathered overhead as Shadowfire stood at the heart of the enchanted forest, in a clearing surrounded by wilted flowers and dying trees. Her once luminous coat now shrouded in darkness, she emanated an eerie aura that sent shivers through the inhabitants of the mystical realm. The creatures of the forest, led by Orion, 
gathered in the outskirts of the clearing, determined to confront the malevolent force and former friend that threatened their home. Orion, with his wings outstretched, addressed the assembly of creatures. We face a formidable adversary, but united our magic can overcome the darkness that plagues our beloved Celestia. It is time to stand together and protect the very essence of our enchanted realm and free our friend one way or another. Ooh. The creatures, ranging from elegant fairies to resilient centaurs, nodded in solemn agreement. They advanced towards Shadowfire, each embodying their unique magical abilities. The fairies unleashed beams of pure light, while centaurs conjured protective barriers against the corrupted unicorn's dark energy. Shadowfire, sensing the opposition, let out an otherworldly snarl and charged forward with a surge of demonic energy. The ground beneath her hooves cracked and the air pulsated with a clash of opposing forces. The battle between light and darkness unfolded in a dazzling spectacle of magic. The fairies danced in the air, weaving intricate patterns of light that sought to break through the shadows. The centaurs, with strength and agility, dodged Shadowfire's relentless attacks while launching arrows imbued with pure magic. As the battle intensified, Celestia's internal struggle became evident to her friends. Within the depths of her corrupted soul, glimpses of her former self flickered like distant stars. The pure essence that once defined her fought to resurface, pushing against the demonic taint that sought to control her every move. When defenses faltered, she was able to make Shadowfire not take the blow or hold back on an attack. Orion noticed this inner turmoil and focused his wisdom on amplifying the purity within. With a harmonious chorus of magical incantations, he encouraged the unicorn to remember the light that once illuminated her spirit. In a climactic moment, as the battle reached a crescendo, a blinding burst of light enveloped Shadowfire. The corrupted unicorn faltered, her demonic powers waning against the overwhelming force of the magical alliance. With a resounding roar, the Celestia's true self finally emerged victorious. The darkness that clung to her coat disintegrated, and her eyes regained their original luster. The enchanted forest seemed to rejoice as life and magic surged back into the realm, and the creatures celebrated the triumph of light over darkness. Celestia, forever changed by her ordeal, became a guardian of the forest, a symbol of resilience and enduring power of light over darkness. She made it her mission to guard her realm and the creatures within it with extra vigilance. <laughs> that was beautiful. It was really, uh, it was quite long. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. S sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really well ri written. Mm, thank you. Oh. I, um, I wanted it to be different than like the normal unicorn stories that we know. Like, I honestly don't know if I know any unicorn stories. When I first moved to America, um, one of the first 
books that I read in English was like a series about unicorns and I I was like 10 years old and um, my stepdad at the time was like you must read to learn the language better and so I was reading I was reading a unicorn series and it was it was like thinking back it was like the normal just cliche story but it was what I needed for lear- like it kept my attention and I l- improved my American English I guess <laughs> so well, that's something <laughs> I honestly don't know if I've ever heard a story about unicorns at all like I don't know I'm intrigued to hear your notes and facts and stuff oh, I really liked your story thank you so much yeah like other than like your daughter's books about you is for unicorn right yeah exactly that's all i that's all i know and it's uh is for unicorn yes (laughs) that's true yes so we all know of the unicorn like we said earlier and my daughter has had unicorn books and toys gifted to her since before she was born and i'm sure your daughter too (laughs) not really not really no my mom was I guess really into unicorns for for her and um we, we had a lot of unicorn gifts for Freya. Yeah, I remember that. I was like, "Oh, is there a theme I missed?" <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Um so and I wrote and read books about unicorns through my teenage years into adulthood. So I decided to dig deeper into the interlands to hopefully bring some little known information about the origins of the majestic and wondrous creature but to quickly recap in case there's somebody that doesn't know about the basics of um, unicorns and the most popular and well-known aspects of them me, me, me. <laughs> these are some of the we'll start with the basics um, they are usually white uh, gorgeous horse with a single spiral horn growing from the middle of the forehead I imagine you knew that. Okay, yeah, I did know that There you go. (laughs) Yay, points for Cody. Yay! (laughs) Some tales depict a dark or evil unicorn that was corrupted with the blood of demons or other fiends, and they were known to live in Thay. Like your story. Yes, like my story. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They usually live deep in a secluded, wondrous forest. Popular pictures often show them splashing in a pool of water in said forest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually, usually under moonlight or um, stuff like that. They are very elusive and difficult to see, even more impossible to capture. People say it's possible to capture them if you're a virgin, usually a girl. Um, that likely has something to do with purity, but doesn't make it any less weird for me. It's pretty weird. It's, yeah. I don't like the whole virgin, gotta be a virgin to do this, gotta sacrifice a virgin to do that. I don't like that. Yeah, it's a little cringe. Yeah. Because usually in stories, it's a a virgin girl that ends up having to be sacrificed. What about Mm -hmm. the virgin boys? They're virgin boys. (laughs) Well, like Hocus Pocus, (laughs) a virgin had to light the black candle. Yeah. And he lit it, so I guess that was a little bit of a different that's 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 fair sorry no you're you're true you're true you're true (laughs) the touch of the horn has great magical properties and some tales describe the blood as being life-giving or curing as well however sometimes um that comes at a great cost to the drinker and obviously to the unicorn for 
The only time I've ever heard anything like that is um, Harry Potter, honestly. The blood, the... The the um, blood. um, The blood. The first, the first Harry Potter. Right. Um, The blood being, uh, coming at a price. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard of, um... Well, actually, just drinking their blood in general, too. I didn't really, I didn't know that was a thing. That was new to me from Harry Potter. The touch of blood from, like, you didn't have to drink it, but, like, the unicorn would, like, scratch themselves and, like, drip some blood, sort of like a... Like a vampire when they're trying to heal you? Right. Or <laughs> or the, the tears of a phoenix, mm, something like right. that. Um, okay. That aspect I've come across in Tales before, but that didn't come at a price for the drinker or for the receiver or the giver. Maybe because so. it was freely given. Maybe. That's fair. But yeah, I've never heard either way. Like I said, I haven't really heard much about... It doesn't come across unicorns. very frequently, I don't think. Um, so, that being said, onward to the lesser known things. In European literature and art, the unicorn has been depicted as a white horse or goat-like animal with long straight horn and spiraling grooves, cloven hoofs instead of normal horse hooves Mm. and sometimes a goat's beard i've seen that in some depictions the goat's beard is pretty frequent yeah Mm. i think uh artists usually use the goat's beard to um visually make a distinguishment between male and female unicorns like if they draw a herd yeah right (laughs) keep your chin warm yeah (laughs) Then, um, in the 4th century BC, a Greek physician named Theseus first described an animal that would become known as the unicorn, a large, pale blue-eyed donkey with a crimson head and a horn of white, red, and black, likely created from stories he heard while stationed in Persia, modern-day Iran. Theseus's Indica, a written catalog of the unknown world, shimmers with the sublime and the absurd. Notes on a race of people with a single leg and depictions of chimeric beasts, among many others. But it was the unicorn that really stood out and remains his most enduring contribution to our creature pile so to speak <laughs> i would love to read his indica like, cryptids like that's pretty much what he's yeah cryptids and I, stuff. I was thinking I, I need to get a copy of indica because i that's really I'm cool intrigued yeah i am intrigued too i wonder how many of them like stood the test of time like Along this cryptid is still yeah exactly yeah. so color me intrigued indica me indica by Theseus. Not the THC kind of indica. Mm, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could have been on THC indica. But, I mean, yeah, maybe the maybe the name has origins from his fantasies. <laughs> mm, maybe. <laughs> mm, also, the scholar Chris Lavers, author of 2009's *The Natural History of Unicorns*. Has written that Theseus likely assembled the unicorn out of three animals indigenous to the Persian region the Indian rhinoceros, whose horn is associated with magical properties, hmm. the goat like horned Chiru, 
also known as the Tibetan antelope. It looks very cute. It's like a permanent baby antelope look. It's so cute. cute. I've never seen one. <laughs> and the reddish and white colored Kiyang, a large wild Tibetan donkey. It just looks like an oversized donkey. Still cute. Donkeys an oversized? Are, donkeys are adorable. Not as big as a, a muley. Muley? Do you mean like a mule deer? When I think muley, mm, I no, think of a deer. Sorry, not a, uh, not a muley, but like a, a mule horse. Mule. Mule horse. Mule. Yeah, yeah okay. sorry about that. Yeah. So not as big as a mule, but not as small as like a normal donkey, I guess. Hmm. Cool. Then future Western historians and writers um, from Aristotle to Marco Polo scoffed at Theseus's fantasies while grudgingly referencing all of his um, writings in the very next breath, which is very sounds very much like um, historians and writers of that day. <laughs> like, bah, you're an idiot, but I'm going to reference your work anyway. <laughs> Is that like hypocrisy at its finest? Right, yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, yet the unicorn with its improbable magic continued to find fresh interpretation over the future generations. Five centuries after its origin, um, Pliny the Elder described a similar horned animal, the monocuros, using a word that in the Bible referred to a wild ox. The Latin Bible turned the Greek monokuros into unicornis. And in the 17th century, it appeared in the King James Version of the Bible. Um, and it that helped legitimize the unicorn. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> By then, uh, it became... Wait, the unicorn is in the Bible? Apparently. King James Version. Yeah, he's the I one who changed to... a whole bunch of stuff in the Bible. I, I didn't take the time to like really look for it. I'm just to kind of see how they the reference Bible. it, but it's in there. Now, is it under the unicorn name or the monokuros? Unicornis. It is the unicornis. It should be unicornis, but it hmm. could be monokuros. I Somebody might have to Google that. Side quest accepted. Um, by then, it became a white-bodied equine mystic, tamed only by a virgin, and um, its horn could purify water and cure epilepsy. Specifically, epilepsy. And I wonder if that uh, if that was named because personal hopes and desires. I don't know. <laughs> Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee, or abide by a crib, or abide by thy crib? Canst thou bind the unicorn with his band in the furrow, or will he harrow the valleys after thee? I don't know what it means because I don't understand that kind of speak. I am that kind of speak. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I don't understand it, but that's I don't interesting. Understand. Um, he translated "hriem" into unicorn, so I don't know what oh. "r e" apostrophe "e m." is but that's what he translated into probab unicorn probably a donkey oh and we might have to put this picture on our instagram too there's a picture looks like a donkey with a long ear yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry side and, quest no yeah it's uh it doesn't mention at least not in that 
portion portion of the Bible about the uni- the unicorn being tamed by a virgin, but um, Virgin Mary is frequently referenced next to the unicorn, and they are um, equalized as for uh, for their each of their purities, huh. or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. So. Today, unicorns canter through the works of Lewis Carroll and so many other great authors and fan fictions alike. Lewis Carroll's the guy who does Alice in Wonderland. Yes. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. Thanks. (laughs) From My Little Pony and all the way through to Harry Potter series, like we mentioned earlier, they exist on the small screen and big screen alike. Mm, In 2017... An American fashion designer, Thom Brown, or Brownie, sent a gauzy puppet version of the unicorn down the Paris runway. Um, the mm, It presides as Scotland's national animal, <laughs> emblematic of the country's stubborn bravery. And you had mentioned to me <laughs> a different reason for the animal being their national animal. I think last week you told me. Yeah, I will preface this as it's a bad joke. And Naughty I joke. don't think, I believe they need their own nation. But uh, the joke is um, they have a unicorn because it's not real, kind of like their nation. <gasps> Cody <laughs> and your naughty jokes. I'm just I kidding. <laughs> I just made it up and I didn't think I was very kind. And I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you made that joke up when you told me? I think so. I, I don't know if I've ever heard it before. Oh, or not. I thought you were telling me that, that that's like what people are saying. Like that's what they're making. Well, I, I it, don't know. <laughs> we are we are filled chock full with naughty jokes. So it was it was. Yeah. Deserved a spot. <laughs> but we don't believe that. We don't believe that. They need their own nation. They've been fighting hard for it. Scot- they deserve it. For Scotland. Or Scotland. something like that. I can't do a Scottish <laughs> accent. I, I can do only my own accent. And that's me. I can do me. <laughs> and then I do other accents, but they always somehow turn into a different accent. They never stick around. Yeah, Unless it's, it's I get like a- stuck. I can get stuck in an accent. Oh, no. Yeah, and then I, you're, is it for days or like? It was the last time I really, really got stuck in an accent. It was like three days. It was back in high school. Ooh, yeah, that's gonna was, be frustrating. I was like... stuck in an English accent, and it was just like, well, at least I mean, I couldn't stop. There are worse accents to be stuck in. English yeah, is at not least so it bad. was. It was like more of a Londoner rather than like a Cockney or something. <laughs> if it was Cockney, I don't know how many of my student or fellow students would understand me. <laughs> What is she saying? <laughs> <laughs> also, um, the very word unicorn has been uh, co-opted uh, in Silicon Valley. The term unicorn symbolizes a billion-dollar startup. Um, in open sexual arrangements, a unicorn is the couple's third lover, which I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Um, well, I mean, anyway, yeah, I didn't know the term. Um, its enchanting otherness has made it a queer icon. What do you mean you didn't know the term? No, I didn't. Oh, I didn't know there was like a name for the oh, third party. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> I didn't know. Like, I know that people do that. That's fine. You can be poly. I, I don't care. But yeah, I don't yeah, care I didn't either. know there was a term. It, it was cool. And that's <laughs> yeah. why I put it in my, I was like, I gotta mention that. <laughs> that's really cool. Well, it's kind of like, um, the pineapple being a reference for swingers. 
I didn't know. Oh, I freaking love pineapples, but like if you see pineapples decorating people's houses, they might be swingers. Ooh, like, I okay. did not know that. I didn't know that either. <laughs> kind of like uh, the the red light in the window or something. Like yeah, that, right? in Amsterdam. Or, yeah, <laughs> that is Amsterdam, right? The red light district. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a wild place. I've always wanted to go to Amsterdam. It's very yeah. pretty. Yeah. I mean, wild in in the best wild, sense of yeah. the, the term. Like, sounds like fun. Yeah. When our girls grow up, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> when we are rich and famous. Yes. <laughs> then, in a, a recent art show at at an art gallery in New York, the German painter Jana Euler offered an entirely different interpretation of the unicorn. She calls them more corns. And they have a monstrously long snout and multiple horns um, protruding from their nose along, like in a row. And she um, recalls it to a traveling circus. Um, and she says that their m- mutations are a result of human intervention. Interesting. Yes. I have not heard that before. I was very curious about that. More corns. And I will leave you with this last little tidbit uh, that I found on the sidelines of my search. Apparently, it is common knowledge, which wasn't to me, but I've now rectified it and I will fix it for you as well. um, That lions and unicorns are sworn enemies. Um, And it is because they both are vying for the great title of King of Beasts. Which I am a little skeptical of because a creature like a unicorn doesn't strike me as being um, so simple that a title like that would matter to them. But um, I haven't had an opportunity to ask them to verify one way or the other. Also, that's just weird king of beasts because like the lions that are probably striving to be the king is obviously the men lion and you know who actually runs the freaking pride the The women women. (laughs) but also (laughs) the tigers are so much bigger as far as like wild cats go right yeah the lion weird the lionesses are the ones that bring the food to the bro lions yeah all the lions the the male lions do is stand around and look pretty and they're like, roar. And for fight mi- other men who think they look pretty. Yeah. And then they roar for miles around. And they're like, okay, pretty lions around. Yeah. Don't come near don't, my pride. Don't come near my... My women. My women and my prettiness. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder, I wonder if on that note, are male unicorns the only ones with a horn? I if they're striving to be king of the right. beasts? I don't think so. Because... In the stories that I've, you know, read growing up and stuff, they, they were male and female and they always had horns. Hmm. So, but well, and then they're probably more like horns rather than antlers. Right. They don't. So they don't grow and de- deplete. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Shed. Shed. <laughs> <laughs> grow and deplete. Deplete. Yes. They don't deplete them all over the yeah. forest. But that would be a fun concept. Like you come across a unicorn horn and then that is how you harvest a horn as opposed to from, a you know, killing them or harvesting them from uh, a corpse. 
Yeah. Something like that. I like that better. <laughs> I like it. Shedded unicorn horns. Yeah. Thank you for enjoying my thing. You are <laughs> welcome. Glad I could be here to hear it because I didn't know like anything about them. You not true. You knew what they looked like. Okay, like the general. <laughs> like I didn't know lore about them at all. Yeah, but if you like, if you glanced upon one in the woods, you'd be like, "That's totally a unicorn." So you got to give yourself credit. We had credit. a unicorn deer a while back. <gasps> we did. He was stinking cute. I think uh, we came to call him Broken or something. Yeah, that Broken. He, he was so cute. <laughs> And then we had, um, we had another deer that we named um, Jane Doe with mm-hmm. the half a tail. Yep, she was a sweetheart too. Yeah, I miss Broken and Jane. Yeah, life moves on though, and quicker for them than us. Oh sadly. My <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it turns dark. Dark. All right. Well, I mean, we might as well turn dark now. We're going to talk about zombies. Ooh, good time to turn dark. <laughs> I wrote Working Zombies, and here it goes. In a remote village, there was a large man named Daniel, out working in his family's grain field. He was strong and well-fed, happy and kind. As he worked, he did not observe the shadow of a man lurking behind the tree line. Suddenly, he was struck by something with a stinging bite. He leaned over to see what bit his thigh as his vision started to narrow and feeling the full weight of his body pulling him to the ground. He saw the end of a blow dart sticking out just as he crashed to the ground unconscious. The man from the trees rushed out and pulled the dart free and ran back into the forest. He would watch and wait. Noticing Daniel had not come in from the fields for dinner his wife sent his sons out to tell him to come in when they arrived they saw daniel lying on his stomach presumably sleeping they tried everything to wake him but could not rouse him they carried him to their house and their mother told them to fetch the town doctor when the doctor arrived he checked the man over but daniel had no heartbeat and he wasn't breathing He could do nothing for Daniel except pronounce him dead from natural causes. The next day, Daniel was buried, and during his wake, the shadow of a man slipped out and began to dig Daniel's still warm body up. He did not want Daniel to run out of air. He took the man in his wheelbarrow to his hut deep in the forest and began his rites to take part of Daniel's soul out and take over his mind. When the man was done with his rituals, he stared into Daniel's lifeless, living eyes and said, I am the Bokoros, who controls you. Join the others in the fields working. And Daniel turned from the sorcerer and began working on the fields. The Bokoros glanced out onto his fields and smiled. At his working zombies. What? Yeah. That took such a different turn. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was, I was doing all my research on the zombies and I was kind of astounded at how 
topsy-turvy the whole origins and legends have become. Oh, really? Yeah, because, like, all I know is, like, the basic zombie, like, Walking Dead, um, what is it, the, the, the last of us or what uh is that no the last of us the last of us is pretty good um st- zombies like that I yeah don't, so i've been really looking forward to hearing what you have for us because it's my turn to not to be a know nothing I am jo- <laughs> consider me john snow john snow <laughs> <laughs> all right uh zombies originate from haiti from the voodoo religion the haitians the Haitian religion of voodoo grew from African traditions and the awful conditions of slavery. According, did I add an extra syllable? It, so- it, <laughs> it sounded almost like a really fast accordioning, but it was like a, I don't, I can't even repeat it. It was a beautiful <laughs> word. I do it <laughs> It was a beautiful word. I love it. <laughs> I try so hard. <laughs> According to African scholars, the word either comes from the Congo word nizamba, meaning soul, or zumbi, which is something that is inhabited by a spirit. I'm leaning more like a combination, that's kind of what I'm thinking, mm-hmm. or more towards the zumbi. Um, the voodoo sorcerers called bokoros can create and control zombies by performing a ritual several rituals and using potions some use a voodoo doll with the victim's blood and hair on it or in it others use a mixture of herbs human remains and animal parts these mixtures are called coupe de powder i can't speak french i am sorry means powder strike these powders will be injected ingested or used on a blow dart Oh, I imagined like <laughs> like a sprinkle, like you put some powder on your palm and then you like blow it in somebody's face. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> but Up close and personal. But then you yeah. run the chance of like inhaling yourself. So good luck with that. Yeah, there was actually a few <laughs> pictures of the people making the poison. They had like cotton swabs up their nose to make sure that they don't oh, inhale it themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. Kind of creepy. Well, I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Powder strike will cause the victim to fall into a near-death state, extremely low breathing rate, and a faint, undetectable heartbeat. You could probably detect it now with our technology, but you know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they would be declared dead and then buried right away due to the lack of refrigeration and he- the heat. Since the victim was considered dead by everyone they knew, they wouldn't be missed and making them the perfect victim for the Bokoros plans. The Bokoros uh, would dig up the victims within eight hours so the victim wouldn't run out of air. Then the Bokoros would perform a rite to split and capture part of the victim's soul, placing that part of the soul in a jar and putting a lua they control in its place. A lua or a loa is a spirit that helps communications between humanity and the Bondai, uh, the creator of the universe. Whoa. Yeah. That took a deeper turn 
mm-hmm. the night I was like, because I was I was trying to figure out like what are the what are I guess priests for the lack of a better word like these people that are performing these rituals and stealing the the bodies and stuff like what is their goal like what do they need the zombies for um but i guess it's for the creator or their creator that they believe in it's part of their journey i guess um i think it's more selfish needs like the loa or the loao that they communicate with they are communicating to their gods but they're using the zombies um, for more selfish reasons okay so kind of like in your story like i don't want to do the field work you do it yeah exactly um the bokors would then give the victim a hallucinogenic mixture called zombie cucumber i have no idea why it's called that (laughs) that was weird uh, the now zombie would be in a submissive and nonverbal state. Permanently? Sorry to interrupt. It's okay. Um, like if they, do they have to continuously eat I, the cucumber? <laughs> I think they continuously give them the hallucinogenic like in their food or whatever. Because yeah. huh. I mean, you have to feed them. They're still living. So it makes sense that they're just constantly drugging them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bokoros controlling them would have them do labor for them working as slaves until released or the bokoros dies which i think it's not a magical reason that they stop being a zombie when the bokoros dies i think it's because nobody is giving them the hallucinogenic yeah it makes sense that it would be like the cucumber is worn out and so like after the bokoros dies or the the stuff wears out they just come out of their thing and they're like oh I have laundry to fold <laughs> at home. Uh, kind of, I think. <laughs> Some believe feeding salt to a zombie would release them from their zombie state. When they were released, they would seek revenge or just go home. Like you said, like, go get laundry. <laughs> <laughs> I left the thing on and I'm gonna... Well, could you imagine how hit their family would react, though? Like, yeah, they, like... they thought they were dead for however long they were a zombie. And they come back and they, they likely don't have i would imagine they don't have any recollection and they're like hey family i've missed you yeah i do wonder if they would have a recollection oh my god recollection recollection (laughs) (laughs) a recollection oh my god recollection (laughs) recollection (laughs) it's a new word official all right um <laughs> i'm not even gonna try to say it again I, my my brain wants me to try to say it again but i'm like i can't Don't do it, I'm do not it. Gonna do it. <laughs> it's a trap um because of the toxins and the hallucinating they might have just had think it was like a super weird fever dream or something right or complete amnesia yeah um the toxins of the puffer fish may explain the zombie state achieved I have heard of the puffer fish being like incredibly poisonous. Yeah. And it's like something that rich people really like to indulge on in, but you can only have so much of it or something like that. Before I, I don't like... know too much about it, but I know that um, you have to be specially trained in order to even be able to cut. Prepare. Yeah, prepare yeah. and cut it. I think it was uh, an episode of Bones or something like that, that there was a puffer fish death. Or something like that. I remember 
Anyway. I don't remember, but I don't remember like any of the episodes, but I know I loved that show. (laughs) Bones was incredible. I I, well, because when I was growing up, I always wanted to be like a medical examiner or like work for the CSI or anything like that. And then like she came in and showed me the other side of detecting and like, yeah, like just the I don't know the bones aspect and just like discovering things in the bones was so cool to me. I'm like, I want to be with that. And then I discovered how much schooling it takes. I was like, eh, I don't have the concentration for that. <laughs> and she she was a female lead character, like, and mm-hmm. I, it was inspiring. I it I, was. I also want it's, I think well, forensic science. Like, that's what it yeah, was. Yeah, that's it. I wanted to be a forensic scientist. Also, Abby from NCIS was totally my hero because mm-hmm, like, I love her. I love her so much. I just it always like those two examples are not the common female example of success. And I love that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, she's not pretty. She doesn't work for, like, a big old office or anything like that. She's doing the nitty-gritty, the cool, like, I don't know. It was really cool. Brain work. Yeah, I like (laughs) the brain work. (sighs) I lost my choo-choo here. Sorry, I totally derailed you. No, that's fine. I like being derailed sometimes. (laughs) Other times, I'm just like, darn it. (laughs) (laughs) The modern zombie came from the 1968 movie Night of the Living Dead. But in this movie, they ate human flesh. Um, Mm. George A. A. Romero co-wrote this film and wrote five others after splitting with his co-writer, taking the Of the Dead title. But in none of Romero's films did zombies eat brains Um, Romero's co-writer John Russo took the Living Dead title and released Return of the Living Dead in 1985 where the zombies actually ate brains Mm. in Romero's films the creatures could be killed by destroying their brains But in Russo's films, they were pretty much immortal, witnessed living past losing their heads. Like, that's scary. Oh, dang. Yeah. Yeah. Because in Zombieland, rule number one is, um, no, rule number one is cardio. But rule number two or something that was... uh, Double tap. Double tap to to the head. And so, like, um, that would suck if you didn't have that. Yeah. But if they don't have a head, they can't bite you, so you can't... No, but they can claw you and still kill you that way. And, I mean, they might put meat down their gullets, like the the headless (laughs) chicken, you know? (laughs) Didn't that headless chicken live, like, ten years like that or something crazy? I've heard of that. I don't know details on that. I wish I knew. He he charged, I think, 50 cents to come see his chicken at the time. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's great. Um, Romero's... Oh, Romeros didn't call his creatures zombies, but ghouls in his first film. Mm. But in 1978, when his second film in the series, Dawn of the Dead, come came out, he refers to them as zombies, changing what the masses consider a zombie thereafter. Um, 
And the reason he did that was because people were like, oh, I loved your zombie film. He's like, I never called them zombies. And eventually, like, ten years later, Ugh. he just kind of, okay, they're zombies. Gavin. Yeah. Weak. So it wasn't even <laughs> him that really, really changed it. Like, yes, he made it well known. Yeah. But fans, like, just citizens the were the, the zombies. And, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um. The movie White Zombie from 1932, created by Victor Halpin, Halperin, um, was actually based off of the voodoo zombies. And he kind of started a oh. flood of uh, voodoo zombies for like a decade or so movies. The, what was the name of that movie? White White Zombie. White Zombie. Yeah. I, I looked uh. up the poster for it and one of the characters kind of looks like what you think of as Dracula. Oh no! Or, okay, not the like the bald, uh, yeah. not that one, but the one with like the really deep V uh, hairline, hairline with the really black hair and stuff. <laughs> oh, no. So I was like, okay, so Dracula has a whole bunch of white zombies, or like, what is going Ooh. on? <laughs> or are you calling vampires white zombies because oh, they're so maybe, pale? I don't know, <laughs> I don't know but it's voodoo <laughs> zombies. I thought maybe trying to find where I could watch that, but oh. I kind of covered my last one with that one. Okay. So, well, yeah, that was all my notes. Also, there's, um, there was also, like, the 28 Days Later was a pretty good one that I, uh, that was about zombies that I really enjoyed. But it's, like, the modern-day zombie. Modern-day like, zombies, yeah. yeah. I, I don't I've, think they'll ever go back to no. um, voodoo zombies or, you know, Haitian zombies. Because there's almost, like, a... Well, it's the gore factor. It I feel is like, the gore factor. I feel factor. like so many scary movies now are like, I have to have all of the blood, all of the guts everywhere or else it's not On a scary movie. Yeah. It needs to be like in my lap. Yeah. I need to be Those playing Those are the kind of scary movies I like. Yeah. <laughs> I like the scary movies that are more psychological, psychological and yeah. like more paranormal. Yeah. I don't like the like serial killer ones because those no. are too real. I tried to explain that to Brad. Like, I believe in ghosts, and I believe in a lot of, a lot of paranormal things and supernatural things, or at least I, ha I have an open mind to them. Mm -hmm. I think an, uh, that's a good way to put it, having an open mind. Yeah, but I, I would feel safer watching those kind of movies than I do a serial killer or, like, some creepy person in your house. Like, yeah. Cause it's, it's too real. Yeah. You can't, like, detach from that. Well, also, there's things you can do against the paranormal. Like, ghosts don't like salt. Salt um, in the windowsill. Salt in the windowsill. You can use protection um, sigils. And, like, there are holy water or... Um, florida water or you know like whatever moon water yeah moon like water that. whatever you believe to yeah. help protect yourself from this entity but you can't throw holy water at somebody <laughs> who's calling you from your attic telling you that they're gonna kill you yeah like it, you could do it but it's not like, gonna do anything <laughs> oh thanks i haven't taken a shower in a week i've been spying on you from your attic thank you thanks. for that <laughs> like the spider man did you ever hear about that guy no oh my gosh he was i think he was in ohio but he was he was in their attic 
in this tiny little space, like just big enough for him to be in. And when they discovered him up there, he was sleeping in the space with cobwebs. What? Like there was just they call it they call him the Spider Man. He was just like But he crashing there? Yeah. He would he would come down at night and eat their food and then he got so bored with doing that and like hiding during the day, he would creep around behind these people. Like this old elderly couple. Oh. He would walk around right behind them. Like being super, oh, super creepy. That's not okay. No. And <laughs> the gentleman discovered him once uh and then he died because Spider-Man's like, I can't leave. So he killed the guy. Oh, jeez. Of course. I can't leave. Okay. Right? So you... I, I just, I, I don't get it. But oh my God, that'd be so creepy. Like, I can't handle that. He took squatting that. next to the next level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Like, put that in a horror film and I will not. I, I will I not watch, watch it. it. I don't want to yeah. put that in my head. But I, I also think that there's... Like visually. I'm no, okay yeah. hearing it. You, you can't unsee that. No. You know? So I think there's some... There's a certain level of romanticism with zombie movies also in the sense of the apocalypse and times changing, mm-hmm. you know, chaos. There's a lot of people that are you know preppers they're like all about that like that's what they are hoping for and what's so funny about that is the cdc actually Mm -hmm. has a written plan for the zombie apocalypse like the cdc i did we talk about this earlier i think so i think that was we i yes well, because we were talking about the zombies that we would believe. Yeah, and I it's, remember. it's the all of our uh, rem- Last Among Us or Last of Us? Last of Us. The Last of Us and how the cordyceps are the most believable zom- modern day zombies. Yeah, cause, I mean, because, I mean, global warming. Yeah. But and also our sense. bodily temperature has actually decreased. Mm-hmm. P- pa- like, populace in the populace. And so the cordyceps are able to obviously are they have to adapt. And well, so. yeah, we adapt. They're adapting, so they're adapting to this heat influx. Influx. Yeah. So we're becoming less hard to infect, infect because our heat is also low- lowering. Yeah, yeah. When I was watching, why can't I remember the name of the game in the show, The Last of Us? No. Last of Us. It, that's it's the last of it. I love the show. It was great, and we didn't um, we didn't get very far on it, but we did like it. I I love the show very much, and then we got the game, and um, it made me so seasick. Like I literally, I was, I was letting Michael play it first because I didn't want oh. to be surprised on what was gonna happen. So I like you know the scare factor or whatever right and so i let michael play it and i'm like michael i have to like not watch you play this because i'm literally getting sick and i i actually you know tmi but i actually like went and got sick i was sick because wow i don't know the motion the way they moved the camera and stuff i don't know what it was but i literally i got sick but i love and i that is my most believable zombie to me but i think i i agree with that 
Um, but I think it's because of the romanticism and the relationship that the masses have made with the apocalypse aspect of the zombies that why they won't go back to the voodoo the voodoo version yeah because it's I, there's I money think, to be made in yeah. the modern day zombies i think mombies mombies <laughs> zombies i mean I, I sometimes feel like a zombie as a mom oh, <laughs> sorry yeah. your but idea is important i don't remember what i was gonna say dang it oh wait no ran away again Mm, romanticism apocalypse oh i think people actually like hope for apocalypse 100 percent agreed and i think like half the population is so that they i don't even know if it's half like 25 percent of the population that are hoping for an apocalypse is so they can be the hero the other 75 percent is like i just want to die <laughs> <laughs> like i just want this stuff to get over with yeah i i think you're you're not far from the truth on that because <laughs> You know, I, I've thought about the apocalypse, and I think the biggest benefit to an apocalypse is the restart, re-jump of the government, or, like, the leading... Entities. Entity, yeah. Yeah. The leading group. And I think I think that's, the, like, the one thing that, for lack of a better term, both sides of the aisle would agree on that, yeah, like, I, whether you're a Republican or or not you want to restart and what better way to do it yeah, than, than a zombie apocalypse, a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> i mean it's <laughs> well and then could you imagine going back to a time after like if this zombie apocalypse happened you'd go back to a time where salt you're you're dealing in salt or you're dealing in you're trading yeah you're trading yeah in in just commodities that people can't have but need like everybody needs salt mm-hmm sounds silly but i mean it's true <laughs> yeah with salt you can preserve meat and preserve vegetables and well and stay hydrated stay better. hydrated yeah 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 because uh, drinking too much plain water can actually make you sick so you need electrolytes mm -hmm. well and then going back to having like a family cow chickens like mm -hmm. just going back to the roots where we take care of ourselves but also our village actually all takes care of each other too yeah the the metaphorical village goes back to being a literal village yeah because we don't have that anymore and i think the zombie apocalypse would help <laughs> i really all do. right let it be known cody's rooting for the zombies no <laughs> Just no kidding. i would be terrified yeah it's, i i would i would be terrified it would it would be yeah it wouldn't be any of this just walk into my house, you know, like what? Yeah. It'd be, okay, who are you? What do you want? Like, are you trustworthy? Have you been infected? Can I see your eyes? Like, yeah. Are you gonna like stab me in the night for my commod, for my stuff, for my yeah. safety, oh, for I my security? Yeah, that like, social aspect. Yeah, that's, yeah. No, I don't know. It's, yeah, it would be just terrifying. You couldn't trust anyone except for like you guys. Yeah. Yes. And, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're right next to each other we'll just like put 10 foot fences or higher up around our entire yard get ourselves two cows yeah we'll be good with our chickens and ducks and cows yeah so and i was gonna mention like either having property and retaining it or acquiring property to have that kind of mm -hmm. safety to yeah. to but then you become a target because you have something that other people want so you That's definitely true. have to yeah it would definitely require a village of incredibly trustworthy 
um, people people that you could s- feel safe sleeping around. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for shedding a light on the true zombie and you know the origin and yeah. teaching me. I'm no longer Jon Snow. You're I know. Welcome. I know something. You know stuff. <laughs> I know stuff. You know stuff. <laughs> well, see, I didn't. I didn't know that the Haitian zombie was different than the modern day zombie. Like I thought there was just where the origin started. I didn't even know it had changed so drastically. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that. I'm glad I could share that knowledge with you. The journey was fruitful. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for joining us this week. Pictures of our subjects will be available on Instagram at Tales with Gnomes. And if you have any requests, questions, or tales of your own, you would like to share with us, email us at taleswithgnomes at gmail.com. Maybe your story will be featured. Please subscribe to our podcast and share with your friends. This was Tales with Gnomes. See you next week. Thank you. Bye.